Okay, uh, we're going to begin. This is um, a story we had recorded before, but it's been rewritten. The Last Boat Goes to Dundee, Part 1. This is from uh, It's a Rum Life, Book 2, Boston, 1960 to 1970. This story from 1969. This is a tale from Boston, Lincolnshire in 1969. From before inflation, when petrol was still four gallons for a pound and a decent average wage was £12 a week. Very few people demanded every possible labour-saving gadget in their home and television was still restricted to two channels. Background. I'd been operating the ECYB boat transport business for several months alongside putting my hours in as the local South Lincolnshire salesman for Firestone. My boss, Fred Popham, had caught me out one day while I was actually delivering a Magyar yacht from Uldox to Windermere in the Lake District. We both knew that Firestone was now on borrowed time here in the UK after the American parents had sent in a new all-American management team to stir up the UK business. Fred and I met in Lincoln over lunch one Friday and we discussed the pros and cons of the ECYB contract with the boat importers and how I could stay on at Firestone as long as possible. The contract with the importers was to distribute their boats to their UK retail agents. This involved deliveries from Hull Docks to Windermere, Brightling Sea in Essex and Emsworth in Hampshire on a regular basis. We both knew that the boat business would not support me totally and Fred suggested I get a temporary driver to complete the contract and see how things developed while I stayed on with him at Firestone. I quickly found a likely chap in John, a factory manager from a small mini excavator company based near Sleaford. He was on sick leave and needed a part-time situation to fill in his time and give him a little more income. John started driving URP 503, our short wheelbase Series 2 Land Rover, and continue with the deliveries of Magyar yachts. Hull docks were a pain. The old dockers regime existed, where ten men did the work of two, and anything took forever. This needed much patience. Unfortunately, John's disposition was not conducive to humouring recalcitrant, recalcitrant dock workers and it was not long before he had an almighty bust up with the docks and their outmoded attitude to a decent day's work. The resulting explosion could be heard for miles and we were blacked from entering the docks anymore. End of contract, end of John and end of boat deliveries for the present. I was pleased then not to have given up the day job with Firestone. As a note here, we all decided that it would be best to stay with Firestone for the time being. As it happened, I stayed a further three years, and in that time won three foreign holidays. The extra large flatbed trailer, made especially by Bev Scott of Billinghay, and used for the import boats in their cradles, was sold to the dealers at Windermere, and delivered with the last Magyar yacht we took there. This trailer was of revolutionary design and Bev and I had spent many weeks in its development. It had to compensate for the fact that the trailer with the load was bigger and heavier than the towing vehicle, something very much frowned upon by the traffic commissioners today. 
To achieve this, it had 750x16 light truck axles and tyres uh, with four-wheel braking. These wheels and axles were larger than the standard Land Rover equipment. As Land Rovers did not have air brakes, then the normal trailer overrun system was used, but utilising hydraulics instead of the normal cable or rod operated brakes. Just as soon as I pressed the brake pedal in the Land Rover, the heavy trailer ran on and operated the hydraulic brakes on all four trailer wheels, bringing everything to a rapid halt. The effect was similar to the snap of a parachute as it just opens, and very effective. Our second trailer was for moving standard type boats. It had a centre set of rollers with split cantilever load deck and could pick up a boat from the flat ground if necessary. I had exchanged my 9036TAMG for this trailer which had been built specially for us by a tyre client of mine near Holbeach. This one we sold to a gentleman from Dundee in Scotland with our last boat delivery booking. By now the Land Rover had gone and I was due to travel to Scotland towing the smallish 19 foot sailing boat with my stalwart Rover 90 saloon. Once again I must explain as there is now a more modern range of Rover cars they are not the same. The original Rovers were large elegant, elegant statuesque luxury saloons with solid chassis and strong bodywork the insides were leather and solid wood trim. They used bomb-proof bomb six-cylinder engines and were excellent towing vehicles. Loading. My trailer client from Dundee had purchased this sailing boat from a local owner who moored it on the tidal berth at Surfleet, not far out of Spalding and about 16 miles south of Boston. The boat needed a crane lift from the river and we arranged this to take place at Fosdyke Bridge on the A17 road to Norfolk. It was here that the boat owner could bring his boat downriver and get alongside a quay. The crane was booked from Belton's of Boston, the only local crane hire company, for 5pm to make the best of the tide at Fosdyke and we, uh, we <laughs> allowed us plenty of time to undertake the lift before the tide dropped too low to become dangerous. 5pm arrived and no crane. Um, so we um, had the boat breasting the river and the current and the tide began to fall. There was no reply when we phoned Belton's office either. Thinking it was on its way we gave it another half an hour. The tide continued to fall and we began to think of alternatives. As soon as the tide fell beyond a certain level, the boat could not get back to its last home berth and we would be at the mercy of the river and its obstructions. The key we had chosen was used by the local drainage authority as their loading and unloading point for barges filled with rock that they used to protect the banks from tidal erosion. Just to one side of the quay was an old tracked Rustum Busaris dragline excavator with a bucket to move the stone. We had lifting straps with us to use with the crane that should have arrived and the dragline operator just happened to live in the house on the quayside. He took some persuading. But after another hour of waiting he could see how precarious the situation had become. It was the day before the bank holiday weekend. I was in shorts and holiday type gear with nothing but a five pound note in my pocket. The dragline man was wonderful. 
he edged the precarious old machine to the edge of the quay after asking us how much we thought the little boat weighed. Being fiberglass, we estimated not a great deal, perhaps 1,500 weight, one ton maximum. The slings were slipped around the fore and aft of the boat and rope coupling them together to prevent any slippage. By now the boat was over 30 feet down below us. Rocks were beginning to show just below the falling water and the ex-owner becoming more anxious by the moment. Goodness knows what the new owner in Dundee would have thought had he known the half of what was going on with his new pride and joy. The dragline man explained that he had removed the bucket attachment for convenience and to remove excess weight from his jib. The machine was not designed for lifting objects and had only a very limited working capacity. All this was strictly illegal and could not possibly have happened had any other members of his staff been anywhere about. He shuffled the machine on its ancient tracks to the very edge of the quay. We have to lift it in one straight quick pull, he explained. I do not know how the machine will behave. We're right at the edge of the quay, so the jib is almost vertical, giving us the best chance, he continued. When I lift the jib over the river, it will have to extend to reach the boat, he continued. That will be the dangerous bit. As soon as I take the strain, the boat has to come up quickly and allow me to swing the jib over the trailer in one quick movement. If anything were to go wrong, I thought, the drag line would topple over on its tracks and career crazily downwards into the river and crush the boat underneath. His instructions were clear and the ex-boat owner secured the lifting hook onto the straps. He had to stay aboard for the lift as by now the water was so low he'd no chance of gaining access to the bank. The drag line engine revved and clattered and we began. Immediately the jib took the strain of the boat, its excess weight warning bell clanged loud enough to wake the dead. It was too much. But we had begun and the wonderful driver continued to pull hard on his lifting levers. The boat sprang from the water on the end of a taut cable and the tall jib seemed to wobble in all directions. At least the dragline track stayed firm on the ground and within seconds the boat was up and swung round over the trailer. The bell clamouring in our ears finally stopped with the jib being more erect and poised with its dripping cargo swinging gently. Ready to drop the boat down onto the trailer deck. This we could do now at a more leisurely pace and ensure the weight distribution was just right for our long journey north. All I could offer the dragline driver was a drink but together with our heartfelt thanks. I'm sure he enthralled his friends and neighbours for weeks to come with this tale of the unexpected. He certainly saved our bacon. That's the end of part one, brought to you by Cracker Books. Watch out for part two.